0: Hi, this is Terrell Jackson, and you're listening to The MJ Cast.
1: The following is a presentation from The MJ Cast, the internet's premiere podcast on all things
2: Michael Jackson. You're listening to The MJ Cast, by MJ fans, all MJ fans. The idea is to
3: uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. I love you. <laughs> I love my fans. Just simply Michael Jackson. Welcome to the MJ
1: Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop.
2: G'day, listeners, and welcome to a special episode of the MJ Cast. We are continuing our hundredth celebrations through with a one-two punch. Here we are today with episode 101. I'm Q and I'm here with my co-host, Jamin. We're incredibly fortunate to be speaking today with Taryl Jackson, the second son of a legendary guitarist of the Jacksons, Tito Jackson, and his wife, Dolores Didi Martez. Being born into a musical family of monumental fame, Tarrell, along with his brothers, Taj and TJ, began playing instruments from a very young age and showed strong promise as musicians in their own right.
1: With their family's guidance, 3T grew into great musicians. A record deal was signed, and in 1995, their debut album, Brotherhood, was released, and it took the world by storm. Reaching heights similar to what their dad and his siblings were used to, Brotherhood sold 3 million copies worldwide – spawning the hit singles Anything, 24-7, Why, Tease Me, I Need You and It's Gotta Be You. It wasn't long before 3T was a household name, with new music by the boys being released on major film soundtracks such as Free Willy and Men in Black.
2: Following the Brotherhood album, the world saw the release of 3T's brilliant sophomore album, Identity, and more recently, Chapter 3. With Tarrell taking a lead role around recording and production. But Tarrell has always shown passion for his own music, also, having released EPs and albums like My Life Without You, Undeniable, and now finally, another solo album packed to the brim with songs Crazy Love. Today, we're here to talk all about Tarrell's incredible life, his career, and his new music. Tarrell Jackson, welcome to the MJ cast. All right. How are you guys doing? Thank you. Very well. Very well. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. And I believe you're calling in from Los Angeles. Yes, that's right. I'm in Perth, which is on the west coast of Australia. So I think we have some similar climate. Although today okay. is one of those very rare days where it's raining. So if you hear rain in mm. the background, don't get too jealous. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, no problem
0: What we like
1: doing, Tarrell, Is we like starting way back At the beginning of people's stories And hearing about how they first got into music and entertainment And, and obviously you were, you were born into What Q and I call The first family of entertainment The Jacksons And, um, you know, with Tito The you know legendary guitarist of Jackson 5 Being your father Talk to us about your childhood Even before you got into music, really
0: It all went hand in hand I, I mean, music was... Obviously, I was born into a musical family, so it was always around. That's pretty much all I knew growing up was was music. It was everywhere. You know, my father was, was obviously part of the Jackson 5, still is. So there was that music. There was all musics that they would play around the house. The Motown greats, Marvin Gaye and Commodore. So there's always music. I don't really know before music because I feel like I was always part of music, you know? But if if you're going to say before 3T and before my brothers and I started a band, those days for my brothers and I was it was music and baseball. That's that's basically what we did growing up. We played sports, we mimicked our uncles. They were superheroes to us and a lot of times we would pick which uncles we were going to emulate in our little mini shows that we would have around the house. <laughs> oh, and I think that you. started I started way back as I think the first thing I can remember is the Off The Wall album. And then with my brothers together, I think it was um the Triumph Live album. That's when we really started to um think that we were the Jacksons.
2: Love that. That is so cute. That is so cute. Were there other musical inspirations before that, like legacy acts that even, you know, maybe you grew up hearing in the house from your father? We grew up listening to everything our father would
0: play, and my mother as well, because my mother was very much into music as well. She actually wrote lyrics, she didn't play any instruments, but my mom had a really good ear for music and was a music lover as well. And she used to work at at a record store when she was younger. So she was a big music fan as well. So we had a great palette of music. All the Motowns from the early, late 70s all the way up till uh, now. We just appreciate all different types of music. All the greats from the Bee Gees, Stevie Wonder, Carol King. We, we just listen to everything. Earth, Wind, and Fire. I mean, the list goes on and on.
1: Yeah, and it's clear to hear all of those inspirations in, in your own music as well, I think.
2: Taro, your father, Tito, is obviously a member of one of the most famous music groups of all time, the Jackson Five, the Jacksons, who both Jamin and I actually saw perform on our respective coasts earlier this year, and the show was amazing. Did you spend much time growing up talking about his own experiences in music? Yeah,
0: it's a little bit different because growing up, you look at your father as your father. He's always dad to you. We often went to rehearsals and um, would see them in the studio working. So we, we got a little bit of the taste of the hard work, all the time that they spent into the craft. And obviously, my father being the guitar player, he was doing a lot of the band rehearsals as well. So anytime there was a tour, he did either uh, spent extra time before the rest of my uncles showed up, or he'd spend time after working with the band. So we were there to see, you know, both sides of it. So it wasn't just the stage presence and the dancing and singing. There was also the musicianship. So we, we gotta see a lot.
1: Your uncles and, and your dad are talked about as just and obviously they are the consummate professionals. Like you you know, you're saying you were there to see their rehearsals for their live shows. I mean, how hands on were these guys in perfecting the sound?
0: Oh, they were they were very hands-on. They were very hands-on. They just, they worked really hard. I mean, they didn't get to the, where they were just by, you know, taking it lightly. We all know how hard my uncle worked, but it, all of them, they really put the time in. And it showed me, you know, they've been doing it since they were so little. But even in their adult world, you know, their adult life, they were still rehearsing just as hard. Yeah, I learned, I learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot. Throughout going back, studying the Jackson 5, studying the Jacksons, studying my uncle, my aunt Janet, all of them, you know, so you, you get like a, an, a really good education and having a behind the scenes look into things. You almost get to see the before and the after. Just knowing both sides is, is really helpful.
1: Yeah, and and obviously you're their nephew and and son, um, but I'd also imagine you'd be a fan of their music.
0: Oh, I'm a huge fan.
1: Yeah, yeah. And looking back on their career, what what would you say is the era or album of theirs you gravitate towards the most?
0: Oh, that's really tough for me because they're all very special. I'm a huge fan, first of all, let me say that. I'm a huge fan because I love the music, I love the messages, I love the people involved obviously they're family, but just as artists I respect all of them. Looking back, the one that I probably connect to a little bit more than the others, and, and it's more of a personal meaning, is probably the triumph in the live album, because that for me was the start of really being aware of what was going on. I was five, around four or five years old around the time. I remember Taj and I were in the Can You Feel It video, I remember the tour. I remember the star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Like, that's when I really started to realize and and remember what was going on and seeing the effect that they had on people, the positive effect, you know, the happiness they were bringing to people, the clapping, the happiness. That's what I remember the most the feeling that the fans and, and the audience had while they were performing. And that's what really made me want to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm a Triumph guy through and through. Other people they love Destiny but and I love Destiny but Triumph is where it's at for me. <laughs> I love the deep cuts on that album like um time waits for no one and just it is mm-hmm. just a, it's packed with incredible music from mm-hmm. start to finish
0: the triumph album and then they like i said earlier they follow with the live album yeah and that's yeah. when my brothers and i we started you know they had a lot of costumes and rhinestones laying around so <laughs> <laughs> that's when we started uh, that's when we became like the little jackson's part two you know so that a lot of memories go along with that era
2: speaking of that era I guess you guys you know you were you were playing around performing and stuff. We heard that you were offered a record deal as early as 1985, but mm-hmm. then you chose sort of not to to go with that. Tell us a little bit about that if you if you remember it.
0: Yeah, so from from the Triumph album era, it went from us lip singing and dancing and pretending we were the Jacksons and we kept doing it on and on and and eventually It was one of those things where you eventually have to start singing your own songs and form your own band. That's when we started getting instruments and synthesizers and guitars and a lot of rehearsals. And our father spent time teaching us three-part harmony. So we were, you know, The Love You Save, I Want You Back, Sugar Daddy. Those songs, those are the first songs we learned how to harmonize to. And we put a lot of time. Eventually from there, we went to writing our own songs. And I think we had three songs that we wrote. Baby Come On was one, I'm Sorry, and All My Eleven. Those were the first three songs that that we did. Recorded them, I don't know what year that was, but I think I was somewhere around 11 or 12 years old. We were offered a couple record contracts by a few people. It was a time where my father and my mother, they both wanted us to have a childhood as well. And like I said before, we were always playing baseball and music. I think along with voice changing, we held off on that because we wanted to have the childhood. Well, I didn't know at the time I wanted to be go out there and go do it. But I think it was <laughs> the right decision to hold us back and, and let us enjoy sports and, and enjoy having friends. You know, a lot of friends that we had were from school and from, um, from baseball growing up. And they're still our best friends now. And I don't think we would have that relationship with them had we started a career. So I'm, I'm thankful and, and happy that that our parents held us back in that way.
2: And that probably has helped you now as a father yourself. You've got mm. two, two sons, you know, you're, you're really involved with them and they're, they're sporting, they, they do baseball like you did. So yes. I guess those lessons you learned that you were lucky enough to be able to live those experiences yourself, you know, now you get to to do that for your own sons.
0: Yep, yep. It's, it's time consuming, I'm not going to lie, but I have two boys and... They both play baseball, and I'm the head coach for both of their teams. That was something that I remembered with my father. He was always coaching as much as possible. Those are some of my best memories with my father as a child, being on the baseball field and going to the Dodger game. So that's something that I I enjoy doing with my kids, and they enjoy it. And we play every Saturday. We have a game once a week, and practices on Sunday. It's a lot, but I enjoy it. I love it. Hopefully, when they get older they'll remember me just
2: like I remember my father. Yeah, I, I think they will. I think they will. I, <laughs> I remember hearing you talk about them on the, the Power of Love radio show and how, yeah. how the team was doing. I loved hearing those updates.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're, we're about to head into playoffs. And, you know, winning's fun, but it's it's the lessons. I love The thing I love about baseball, it's, it's the lessons. They're life lessons. You know, you learn teamwork. You learn not to give up. You learn everybody has a role that can help. And you need a team, you need a team in life, you know, and baseball, I, I often say it's the game of life. You need a team to win and everybody's not going to have the best day here and there, but someone else can pick them up. So that's what I
2: try to teach my, my players. Life lessons. That's Yeah, yeah it. that's it. it. So a, a few more years pass. Music was clearly still a part of your life. Uh, how did 3T come about?
0: How did 3T come about? 3T, I think, started back, you know, with the triumph days, with the live days. That's that's the start of it. We weren't called 3T, but, you know, we formed our little mini group, you know, um, practicing and rehearsing and, and studying the moves that our uncles were doing. I think that's where the love started. That's where it all started for us. And eventually we started wanting to write our own songs i remember uh, our father getting us instruments our uncle michael bought us this big organ that was huge <laughs> and um, <laughs> we wrote we wrote uh it's funny i still have remember how to play these things but um we wrote this song no lyrics no no melody just you know music no vocals or anything from there you know it's it's just baby steps you know you learn how to make a song a track and then you eventually start writing lyrics and melodies and then you put harmonies to it. So it's just one step at a time for us, you know. But it started with the recording. I think I was, like I said, I was around 11, 12 years old.
1: At what point did you, like, did the physical sort of signing happen um, to MJJ Productions and when did it all get formalized?
0: Well, even before that, even, I'm going to go back a little bit because this is this is the crazy part for us. So my brothers and I, we eventually... Got our own instruments. And Todd was the keyboard player primarily. I was the guitar player and TJ was the drummer. So we started playing, you know, songs that we would hear on the radio. Billy Jean beat it, Paul Simons You Can Call Me Out, and uh Ben. That was our run through. Those were like the first songs we learned. Oh my goodness, you're taking me back. <laughs> I remember we were we were at uh we would do our run-throughs. We'd have rehearsals every day. We'd practice for an hour or two. And you know whether we had friends over, whether we had baseball practice, it didn't matter. We always got our run-throughs in. And then after that, we would practice our harmonizing. Then after that, we would also practice our stage, which was a little bit of both. So we did this for quite a while. I don't know if you guys were familiar with our family days, but every once in a while, we'd have a family day it would be at one of our uncle's homes or aunt's homes. So sometimes it would be at Uncle Marlon's house or it'd be at my father's house, which was actually the 2300 Jackson Street video that happened on a family day. Um, or it'd be at Uncle Tremaine's house. So on this family day, it was a, a talent show. It was a It was a talent show where the second generation would perform. So of course, my brothers and I were going to be in the show. And it was our very first time performing, so a lot of our run-throughs were for the show. <laughs> I remember we we, uh, we the show, and it was very. It was a small audience. It happened at the Havenhurst House in the theater room, and most people, when they have their first show, it's it's different. This is where it's strange to have family that that are also. Your idols and legends, but I think about it this time often. I'm I'm screwing this all up, but I think about this often. Our very first show, we were performing in front of Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, the Jackson Five, and our grandmother and grandfather and all of their, you know. Wow. And that's that's quite an audience, you know.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> How way it goes, you? You know, it's funny because I I. At the time, you know, it's family, so you don't think of it like that. You don't think of it like that. You're just performing in front of your family. So you're not thinking who's in the crowd. You're thinking this person, uncle that person. It's not the actual, you know, Michael Jackson. It's Uncle Michael, you know? Yeah. I remember we did our first song. We had four. We did our first song and I think they thought it was over and they were screaming, we want more. We want more. (laughs) So it was it was a good feeling. And we we went through our set and it was a lot of fun. But that whole day was a lot of fun. There's so much music in my family and some do it professionally, some don't. But there's definitely a lot of music in our family. I remember Jermaine Jr., uh, he danced, Autumn sang, Yashi, she sang or Yashi danced. Siggy, I think he did a tap dance number. So there was a lot of there was a lot of love and a lot of family uh, music in, in that day.
2: Yeah, Taj was not kidding around when he said your memory is amazing. That's oh, my sure. memory,
0: my my, I don't know why, but my memory is just it's it's pretty spot on with a wow. lot of crazy stuff. And I remember the the silliest things. It's, it's strange. Yeah, I remember that day. Yeah, it's funny.
1: A day I remember is when I got my first ever album, when my grandmother bought me my first ever album. And it actually was, it wasn't a 3T album, but it had a 3T song on it. It was called Hit Machine 14. And um, mm. <laughs> it had uh, the song Anything on it. And I actually, um, yeah. Taj was a bit shocked when I told him this, but I was, a, I was a 3T fan before I was a Michael Jackson fan.
0: Oh, wow.
1: I think I was about 12 or something when that came out. It was really 3T that sort of led me in the direction of discovering the Jackson family and the the broader sort of story and music. Right. Let's let's talk about Brotherhood. Let's talk about that album. Okay. What, What was the creative process like for you as 3T when you were creating that album?
0: I think what happened with Brotherhood was eventually after... I'm I'm going like I'm talking too much probably no, But after <laughs> the first set of songs <laughs> After the first set of songs that my brothers and I did Our voices changed So I was 12 and then obviously Fast forward a few years Our voices changed and we started working on some new material To get a demo done to shop around for another record deal So around this time my brothers and I are still making music and writing, and we started recording, and I think the demos that we had for this included songs, Didn't Mean to Hurt You, Memories, What Will It Take, and maybe one more that I can't remember, which was a part of it. Once we finished those three to four songs, and actually Brad Buxer and Bobby Brooks, they were the ones that were recording us, and we used their studio to record these things. So um, I know you interviewed Brad Buxer not too long ago, correct?
2: correct yes yeah
0: so our uncle's always been a part of this and always opened the people he worked with to us which we're always fortunate for and thankful for but after we did those demos we shopped them around a lot of people don't realize we were signed to epic we didn't get signed to mjj records our uncle he helped us with the demo and was always in our corner but our deal was with sony epic well it was epic at the time so it wasn't till later it was after the Free Willy soundtrack. Jerry Greenberg, the president of MJJ Records at the time, he was putting together a soundtrack, Free Willy. At the time, we had just fin- We just signed to Ep- Sony, Epic Records, and Didn't Mean to Hurt You was one of our songs. And that's how that song got onto the Free Willy soundtrack. He loved it, loved the song, and he loved the group. He discussed moving to MJJ music. So once we uh, talked to our uncle and... We discussed us moving to his label. That's when we started the Brotherhood album. It was exciting for us because we were finally working on an album. It was on our uncle's label. He was always always on our side as far as supporting us. We just really wanted to put together an album that would be a really good, strong album and show we had talent and that we worked for it. Because a lot of people really felt that we were giving a record dealer, we were you know, there's Michael Jackson's kids or the Jackson kids, of course they're gonna get this. It wasn't so easy for us and we really wanted to prove something with this first album. So we met with we we met with a lot, a lot of writers and producers and uh, musicians just before we even started demoing the album, you know, just before we started recording, we were just coming up with ideas, meeting people from all over the country. So that's where it really started. That's that's where our mentality with the Brotherhood album was.
1: And when we talked to your brother, Taj, about this era, he and I want to know if your memories are similar, but he sort of talked about it more as like just an absolute whirlwind of a time period with just like touring and it just being absolutely massive. Are your memories the same or do you view it more as like an exciting time period where you enjoyed every second of it?
0: With the Brotherhood era, I'm just, even before the the actual release of it was a lot of work for us. A lot went on just before it was even released, because while we were working on the album, I think we were finding ourselves as just, we're young adolescents, you know? We were turning, I was, think, 16, 17, 18, 19, the ranges for us. You know, around that time was the time our mother was murdered. So in the middle of recording everything stopped and then it was like the reset button and just trying to find something to hold on to, to, to make sense. And just to, just to get your bearings, you know, and, and once again, that, that was our uncle stepping in and, and really being that figure for us. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a really strange, hard time to define, very emotional for all of us. It, it, um, it shook, it shook our world, you know, and it still has an effect. It's not something that goes away, but it really changed things up for us because we, we were things were going so well for us. We signed, signed to a, a label, we started working on our album, and then this happened, and it really just um, it put us in a different direction. And, and you know, at some point we, we were just completely lost. We didn't know how to cope with it. We've never dealt with death or loss and you know losing someone like your mom is 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 no easy thing to go through you know any death is hard but our uncle really kept us together and told us i remember him telling us because we were in new york he said honor your mother do the best you can with this album and honor her you know the best thing you can do and make her happy is to go through with this because this is what she wanted because this is what you guys want
2: that's what we did that's what we did your mom was basically your manager yeah. before that as well and and then I guess did did your dad step in and take that role after?
0: Our mom was our manager because at the time we at the time we didn't really have management like the recording process of brotherhood we didn't really have management. We all know the music business isn't a fair business. Our mother looked over us We were everything to her. So until we found someone that we can feel comfortable with and trust to to manage us, she was the one that was looking over things for us. And then once she passed, we were lost with everything. But when we started to record again, that's when my father kind of filled that role for us. Eventually, we we,
2: uh, worked with Frank DeLeo as well. Oh, wow. I did not know that, actually.
0: Yeah, Frank DeLeo. It was Frank DeLeo and our father. They co-managed us.
2: Brotherhood. Can we ask about the track Why that you Mm. did with your uncle? You know, you and your brothers, you have been in the public eye from a very young age. You watched 2300 Jackson Street video. There was that Uh Jackson's Donahue special that you guys Uh were on. (laughs) Um, I guess Uh it probably wasn't until Brotherhood and the music video for Why that fans of the Jackson really got a taste of Tito and Diddy's boys, 3T. So right. could you tell us about the history of the song, why the recording sessions, and then ultimately the filming of that music video with your uncle?
0: Well, the, the story about the recording process isn't really a long one. It's It was mainly um, a song written by Babyface. It was for my Uncle Michael's album, the history album. He recorded his vocals, but he didn't have the leads yet. It basically it was between "You Are Not Alone" and "Why." One of those was going to make the album. The other one was not. He played us both songs, and we all loved "You Are Not Alone." And it was just, you know, just was perfect for him. And we we said we can make the decision easier for him. <laughs> <laughs> and we asked, we asked, well, not you let us sing "Why," your vocals are already there, and we'll just sing it. It could be on our album he loved it. You know, he thought it was a great, he said, you guys should record this. It'd be great for you guys. We just recorded it. And he produced, he produced the vocals and, uh, he just, um, he didn't have to do the things he did for my brothers and I, you know, he just, he didn't have to do that. And, um, he, it's, it's hard to see everything that's going on because the person the person that he was was just incredible. And it just wasn't one time or two times. It was just my whole life, you know. So uh, he was recording down the street, recording history, putting that album together while we were recording down this down the street in a much smaller studio working on our album. So on why he came by and um, he he coached us through the vocals and he produced our vocal. And I remember... Me uh, with the bridge was it was tough for me to get through, and he just gave me, it was little little bits, bits and pieces, little tricks here and there that helped me get through that vocal. I remember I wanted to, to do it over and over. I wanted to get it better, and he said, "I appreciate, I appreciate you wanting to do it again and again." But we got it, we got it, we're good. I promise. So when he said that, I knew I, I knew I could trust him, and it was it was okay.
1: And what was it like filming the video?
0: The video. So the video, the video we shot, I think he was leaving. He was only in town. I think he was leaving either that night or the next day. So we had to shoot the the video at a specific time. And we shot the video. You know, when we set up, (laughs) the funny thing about the shooting of that video is normally you do like a little rehearsal, of it just to make sure the cameras are all set and this and that and the, the playback so while we were shooting the scenes with my uncle I thought we were we were um I thought it was just practice <laughs> I didn't know we had started <laughs> but um I remember them saying okay we got it and I was like we got what I thought we were about to start recording and they said we're done we got it we're done so that's what's funny about that when I look back to it because it was so light and it was so everybody was goofing around, but that was it. That was that was him wanting to capture the relationship. You know, and that's how we are. That's how we were.
1: Oh, that's great. And so can I can I take this story to be pretty much a sealer on this this rumour that's kicked around in the community forever that there is a solo version that Michael sings the song Why He Does Leads. That that doesn't exist, right?
0: If it does, I've never heard it. I don't think he's done that. I've never heard it, so I don't think so. Cool. If there is, if there is a version with him singing it, I would
2: like to hear it. <laughs> but I I don't think oh, there yeah. is. As it stands, it's an incredible song. Absolutely. Hey, this is Taj Jackson at 3T and you're listening to the MJ cast. So in the discography section on your website, it states that between the brotherhood album and identity, you guys actually recorded another album that was never mm-hmm. released by Sony. I guess due to <laughs> strange relationships between, yeah. you know, MJJ music and Sony, you were young guys still trying to balance your relationship with your record label, Sony Music, and your relationship with your uncle and his relationship yeah, yeah. with the record label.
0: Yeah. So once uh, anything took off and the Brotherhood album took off in, in Europe, the feeling for my brothers and I, it, unfortunately, it felt like here in America, they didn't really believe in us it felt like we were treated as michael jackson's nephews and we were kind of done as a favor that's that's how i felt at least overseas it things took off and they really the company the epic um international record company epic really saw the vision for us and really heard our music and and they stuck with with the original music and and the album just you know it's it sold you know, a few million and the response was good. So my brothers and I, we felt they understood us. We were accepted in Europe. So after, after, you know, I think maybe the fourth or fifth single in Europe, America started calling and wanted a second album. They wanted us to go right back in the studio and record another album. So, cause they were fine. They were seeing, all the response, and you know, we were we were doing very well, and America felt they had missed the album, they they had missed it, they had, they didn't get a shot at it, and they wanted a piece of it, so they wanted us to come back and and record a second album. Now, my brothers and I, it's always been our our dream to do a tour, and to be on stage and do concerts. I mean, this is going back to the Jackson Live. We we've always wanted to have a show of our own. So at that moment, we had a decision to make whether we wanted to do a Brotherhood tour or go back and record another album. And my brothers and I, we decided, we said, you know what? We worked hard for this. If if nothing else happens from here, let's do a tour for mom and, and for us and for the fans that supported us. And that's what we decided to do. So we did a tour and then we started working on an album. And while we were touring, my brothers and I, we always write and produce. So we had a good idea of, of the direction we wanted to go in. We started writing while we were on tour And um, that's when we started working on the second album. When the tour ended, we were pretty much already through with the the songs that we wanted to record. We were trying to finish the album by 97, 98. We had to postpone it because there was issues and friction between Sony and MJ. So that's where it really um, put us in a a hard place because uh, we felt we were stuck. And we were actually stuck. There's nothing we can do. At the time, there was a a lot of other groups that were coming out and and doing very well. But my brothers and I, we were just, you know, on standby on, on this waiting thing. And it was frustrating and difficult for us because we had worked so hard to get to where we were and worked so hard. We saw so many mistakes with Brotherhood as well that we wanted to do the second album and do it bigger and do it better because, you know, obviously you learn and we wanted to try something different and learn from our mistakes and uh, we were eager to, to release the second album. That never happened.
1: Do you recall what the tension between Michael's label and, and himself were actually about? Was it the catalogue or...?
0: Oh no, it, was, it wasn't Michael's label. It was, it was um, well see... The way, the, way, the way it worked was our uncle's label, MJJ Music, they were, well, it gets kind of deep, guys. <laughs> they were the beneficiaries of our careers in America. So the percentage that the label would get for record sales and all that was a lot higher and a lot better in America versus everywhere else. And that could be a reason why we didn't really succeed as as well as we did in Europe. The friction wasn't between Sony and MJJ Music; it was Sony and MJ. And for all those MJ uh, supporters, I think they know th- the reason why and what was really uh, behind all that. It was it was a <laughs> it was a, a billion dollar thing going on in there. And you know, three T is just a. a, a pawn in the chess game
1: you know yeah yeah. and now so, look Tarrell, we wouldn't be doing our job at the mj cast properly if we didn't ask about this this unreleased album that's listed on the website now how involved was michael what exists of it like talk to us about that album
0: very involved our uncle was he was like the fourth t he was very involved even with brotherhood he was involved i'd play him music all the time i would play him you know memories and and uh, didn't mean to hurt you. Words without meaning. That was actually one of his favorite songs. Was words without meaning. And I remember being outside of a gas station. We were getting gas, and uh, we were listening to the album. And we came across words without meaning. And he said, "Play it again, play it again." We played it like three or four times. He was just crying, like he just—he's like, "This is great." It was the demo. This is great. This is great. And he eventually uh, produced it. It's something that I have to give him full credit. It, I was inspired to write that song because of a group called Bread, which he introduced me to. Our, our, we, uh, I owe so much to him. I really do. It's like he introduced me to all kinds of music. I wouldn't, I wouldn't love music had it not been for my uncle because he showed me so many different genres and so many different styles. He taught me how to appreciate it all, not just pop music, but folk music and country music and rap music, just to appreciate it very involved you know with the second album there's a song i wrote called i love you he loved that song as well and my goal in my life was to always write a song for my uncle and to have him you know to me that was the ultimate that was like i i made it like i did something because my uncle's not going to just work with anyone so my goal was to write a song that he would record and there were two songs that that i wrote that my uncle well, there's several, but there was two that got really, really close. But there's two songs that I wrote. I Love You, which was going to be on, the we call it the Lost album. There's another song called I'm So Alone. He loved both of them. He recorded, we did a demo of I'm So Alone. And when my uncle passed, there were notes of an album he was working on. And I Love You was written as one of the songs with my name on it and that to me was like it just made me feel really good to know that I was on his radar how much was he involved he was involved he was always there you know always there we wouldn't be 3T without him he taught us so 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 much more than anyone so he's part of the group
2: like to me he's a silent member you know Wow
1: my whole body is just, like,
2: covered in goosebumps <laughs> right now. <laughs> wow. That's awesome answer. Thank you for, for the detail that you just shared. I'm oh, sorry. go
0: all over the place, but <laughs> no. like, I have a <laughs> photographic memory. So I just – I can replay things like that. And um, he's just he, – he he's the – and I'm probably getting way ahead of myself, and I'm probably sure, – I'm sure it's going to come up. But that's why – everything that goes on like this leaving Neverland garbage or whatever it was called. What is that called?
3: Leaving yeah. Neverland? That's yeah. why,
0: that's why that stuff is so upsetting and so, so hurtful and painful to experience because it's, it's so, it's so wrong and it's, it's so full of BS and it's so opposite of how my uncle was that it really messes with me. And it really upsets me the effect that it has on people that don't know that don't know my uncle. It confuses them, and then it forces things to to go in a direction that it's unfair, you know. And I was really upset when I heard that the statue in Holland, I think it's best as the city yep. that that's been there for over twenty years, was was taken down. That really really bothers me because. You know, I got to see it in 2015 for the first time and you know, it's it's a place that fans had had gone to to gather. I have a show coming in uh, in June that was something I wanted to take my kids to go see. For it to be taken down over such garbage is is just uh it's hurtful. It it messes with me.
2: I got to see that statue myself for the first time uh, last year. I I have family over in Rotterdam. That's actually where I got married, over in Rotterdam. And Mm. I was there. And one of our listeners of the podcast, uh, Machiel, he offered years ago, he said, when you're over next, let me know and I'll take you out to the statue. And we had a great little day trip out. And that had been a dream of mine to see that statue since the history era and, uh, yeah, I will always be very grateful for Mahil driving me out and us going to see it. And I do hope that it gets put up somewhere else and yeah, it's a place I, for people I, I to do go. Too. I do, too. I'm, I'm so glad you got to see it. And I do think somewhere in the future you'll be able to take your kids to see it somewhere mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Yeah. I guess moving on, you know, your next 3T album was Identity, It was released in Uh France, France, Netherlands, Belgium. How had you developed creatively between the the projects, like between Brotherhood, then The Lost Album, then Identity?
0: Well, between Brotherhood and and, uh, The Lost Album, I think we were really in, in a zone because we had just come off tour and we really knew what we wanted to go after. So we put everything into The Lost Album. When we found out, in order to move on, to, to get released from sony we'd have to leave that album behind at the time it was a blow for us you know it's it's like it was a waste of several years i mean we would we were, we worked really hard on that album and the songs and the direction we're going and and we're just really trying to prove ourselves you know as songwriters as musicians we didn't know anything about boy band and we kind of got thrown into the boy band thing of you know and we felt we were musicians we didn't know anything about that so it was something that we wrote and produced and and we did all the music and stuff for and we really felt it would really show people our talent and when that wasn't released it was a blow we had to reset once again and figure out what we wanted to do some days we didn't want anything to do with music we we didn't even want to pursue it anymore we wanted to try something else because it was unfair. you know. We felt it was something beyond our control. I don't want to say we wanted to quit, but there was times where we just didn't know if we wanted to go through all that. And then also at the time, this is when Napster and everything's came out. So now things are starting to change and, and uh, record sales are starting to fall and record companies aren't sure of where the industry is going. So now it's uh, everything's scaled back a little bit. It was a strange time for us because We didn't know if we wanted to do music and how we wanted to do music. And eventually, we decided that going forward, we wanted to be in control of our music and our future. So that's when we started the new album, Identity. And the difference was that we didn't really care if we were on a label or not. We just wanted to put our music out. Just whoever wanted to hear it would hear it. We started off territory by territory, and we went to France first because that's where we had our biggest market that was our biggest sales were from france so we said we'll go to france and then the holland and then germany and go little by little and and round up everybody and hopefully we'll get back where we were that was the mentality at least
1: my favorite song on that album by far is the song i appreciate and Mm. i I actually um (laughs) it has a really strong memory for me because i when my wife and i got married i created a video to that song of our relationship before we got married like all video footage and photos oh, okay. and things and I played that at our wedding and I just wanted to say thank you for oh, creating wow. that song so you know I'll have oh, that memory great. for my whole life so thank you
0: ah uh, thank you thank you thank you for sharing that with me yeah that um that album was that album was was fun to make and you know we recorded it here at my house in my studio and we were just trying to It was really just trying to to get the confidence and the the energy to to put something out again, to do it as quickly as possible, because we have been telling everybody what we were been told, you know, any minute now we're going to release new music. So we were trying to hurry up and,
2: and get some music out and get back out there. So that's that was the whole thing behind Identity. Even since the early days of social media, you've been very open in sharing your own creative process and song (laughs) evolution. Like that's from MySpace days, websites. Yeah. Yeah, right through to now via your Instagram stories from your studio. How have you noticed your own creative process evolving over time? And what are some of the biggest differences these days?
0: Well, going back all the way to the beginning of, of when I started recording or making music, I was, you know, 10, 11 years old, stealing a music equipment from my father's studio, which was like in the basement.
1: Just like he did with the guitar. <laughs> it,
0: yeah, you know what? That's so funny. You say that because I never really thought about but that's exactly what it was. <laughs> that is exactly what it was. Although he never told me that I couldn't take it looking back i didn't know what i was grabbing at the time but looking back now it's like i remember like i had a lin 9000 drum machine in my mini studio i had all this important like all these really big expensive equipment things in my my studio microphones all kinds of stuff and i didn't you know i didn't know how to hook this stuff up i was just plugging things in seeing if it worked no nope, put plug it in here that's how i was learning there were times where my father was looking for a microphone or a synthesizer or a drum machine, and it would be in my room. He's like, are you using that? I was like, yeah, I was. He's like, okay, well, I need it for the session tonight, and then you can come and get it, you know? Those memories live with me forever, you know? And I appreciate my father for that because most most parents, you know, because of the value of these things, they wouldn't allow their kids to um to have them in their room. And my father was always open and always sharing with that you know and and uh, he he saw how much i loved it and uh he shared with me he taught me how to connect things and how midi in and midi out and it was just i don't know it was just something that that i always remember about my father and the, I, I remember the dumbest things the little the little pieces of of advice that i would receive from my uncles or or my father, and it just sticks with me, you know? So, I'm, I'm fortunate and thankful for that.
2: So, it sounds like you've been really sort of working on solo stuff for a very long time, and you released your first solo EP, uh, My Life Without You, on Mother's Day in 2012, Yeah, and then yeah. followed up with Undeniable in the same year. What mm-hmm. prompted your solo releases that year, and have you got any stories about particular tracks or how they came to be? Oh, well, Yeah. I got stories for everything.
0: Um, well, I've I've been doing music my whole life. I just I love it. I'm pretty much obsessed with it. And I've seen how hard my uncle Michael works. And um, growing up, you know, he, even though he would be done with an album, he was always creating. And you know, that was something that I was I was caring for. I wanted to be the best that I could be. And I saw the work that he put into it. So I wanted to. To do the same, you know. I, if he's going to work hard, I'm going to work hard too. You know, so I was always writing, always trying to make my songs better or make my production better. So the solo thing, I don't know. Not that I was thinking solo. I was just trying to become a producer, become a writer, become an artist, be the best that I can be. It just turned and turned into a, a place where I can just uh, channel into something and, and write songs and, and express myself in certain ways. And I, I got to a place where I had so many things in my computer that I just wanted to share it. you know, and that's why, that's why I opened up my world, you know, just to to connect with the fans and to share my music. And, and it's funny. it's like I've, I've gotten to a place where my songs don't have to play on the radio, It doesn't have to be the number one song. I, I feel if you put out music that you connect with, it'll connect with others. To me, the number one, you know, the equivalent to a number one is hearing, like you said, the song I appreciate, you know, how it means something to you. So, you know, hearing somebody say that that song that you wrote or that song you, you sang or that you shared, you know, it helped me get through a passing of my father or it helped me get through, you know, a hard time in my relationship. That to me is the number one. That's what I love for. And that, that's what I strive for.
2: Mm. I think of uh, undeniable the the track of course best of all time. Yeah. that has that helps every year for me. Yeah. I you know yeah. I get that album playing and then that song and you know the video I I love that track. That's an incredible tribute to your uncle. Thank you. And yeah, please be proud of that because it's really special.
0: Thank you. Yeah, so my EPs there I, I, I don't know what songs are part of what because I <laughs> I write so often that I just try to put a good collection of songs. You know, sometimes it'd be too ballad heavy, so I'll save it for another project. My life without you was, um, you know, obviously released, like you said, on Mother's Day, and that was basically with my mom. And undeniable, I think I, I I know it was something around my uncle, one of my uncle's days, whether it was his birthday or his um his passing day it was around that time and um, undeniable you, you know i'm i'm sorry i know i go all over the place but i'm just thinking about the songs and, and the meanings like you said so I'll, I'll answer the meaning when my uncle passed it was extremely hard for me because not only you know the person the person that he was for me the friend the uncle the hero that was difficult but I had always learned, and through him, I learned to um, express my feelings through music. He was always one I idolized as an artist. So anytime I would do music, I would feel his presence, and I would always feel that he's with me, and I would always channel in to something that I learned from him or inspired by him. So when he passed, it was a weird cycle for me because I would want to express myself, but then... I would channel him and it would make me sad. So I didn't want to do music. So it was, it was very difficult. I don't know if that makes any sense. It was almost like a cycle where my healing would also cause me pain. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So it was really, it was really hard for me. I remember with um, Undeniable, I tried to write something that felt like something that I would write with him by my side that's the kind of feel of that song I felt, I felt I was writing with him alongside me. So you said you asked for backstory. That was that. And then, um, with best of all time, I just, um, I think that, that came, that came more from an angle of just being a fan. I love the person, but I'm also a fan. Like you said, I'm a huge fan. And, there were just certain things I would see behind the scenes and I would know the backstory to a lot of the the wrongdoings as a fan it bothered me. And I felt upset because even then they were always trying to strip something away from him, you know, um, never really giving him his due. And that bothered me. So I know, I know in the chorus, I say, King of Pop, Michael Jackson, right? Because I, I wanted to say that in a way where I was proud and I wanted to, to his name to have king of pop because that's what he is you know and and I don't want anyone to take that away from him so it's funny you know several years later here we are dealing with the stupid leaving neverland and that song still resonates you know with with the words you know in the bridge i think some try to ruin your name with hatred and lies but it's the same thing you're going through it again and it's just it gets very tiring it's draining you know it's 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 hurtful and um it's upsetting because i know the person you know that he was and it's so opposite and it it, it angers me that this is going on it's unfair it's wrong Agreed. And
1: this is something we'll probably talk about a little later in the show after we've deep dived into Crazy Love. But thank you for that. And and I also wanted to ask, you know, unfortunately, last year, you also lost somebody close to you, your grandfather, Joe. Yes. And, yes. And I've always sort of wanted to know, did he himself give you any um, industry advice or creative advice or anything like that?
0: My grandfather, when I think about him it's it's like every every time I would it was he was always proud. He always made me feel that that I can do anything and he was always very proud of the the name Jackson. Not in a, not in an arrogant way. It was almost like you can do it. You're a Jackson. You can do this. This is what you do. You're a musician. You can do you know, and not in, not in an arrogant way. In a in a be proud of your family. And you're one of, you know, you're, you're part of this family, you have it in your veins, you know, have confidence and and go out there and and do it. So I think of him and that's to me, a leader, that's, that's someone pulling greatness out of you that maybe you can't even see. So I look at him in that way. And I I remember that most about him.
2: 2015 brought the surprise 3T album release chapter three. That was <laughs> that was sort of out of the blue for us. All of a sudden, they're bang. It's it's there's a whole album yeah. for us. <laughs> yeah. What was it like getting back onto the bike again with your brothers? Ah, uh,
0: so it seems like every time we put out an album, there's always a hurdle for us. This time, it, the hurdle was was the passing of our uncle Michael. We're just starting to record for this album and put an album together and. and uh, we were actually together when, when we heard news that our uncle had passed. So right away, we stopped music. That wasn't even a thought for us. Our, our first thought were to take care of his children. We immediately thought about the time when we lost our mother and how important he was for us and how he stepped in and, and got us back on track and made sure we were okay. You know, We wanted to, um, to do the same for his children. And that's what we did for, for a long time and still do, you know, we slowly just started putting songs together early stages, you know, it started with the Vegas trip. I think we would come up with ideas and it was, it was a very slow process, to be honest, the chapter three album, it was a lot harder than the other albums for, for different reasons. I think we were all older. We were, we had our families. It just, it
2: was a different process. It was a different process. Well, it's still a good album. It may have taken longer than planned, but it's, yeah, great. It was very exciting for us to talk about that release oh, on, yeah. on the podcast, actually. Oh, okay. I,
1: I listen to it all the time. My, my favorite song on it, Tevin. Love love that
2: song. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: And Q, I think you're a big Fire fan, right?
2: Oh, God, yeah. That's <laughs> fire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> love it. Thank you. Uh so it's 2019 in recent years you've been delving into like electronic dance music EDM not only creating original content that we've you've been sharing on like Instagram and things like that but also remixing other tracks. Like I love the mix you did for the Chainsmokers featuring Halsey, Mm. Closer. That was a great mix. Who were some of your inspirations for exploring this side of your creativity?
0: It's a whole different
2: genre. I think the reason I got into the EDM thing is I was
0: just trying to find something I can do musically that wouldn't be... I don't know how to even say this, but something I can do on my own that wouldn't interfere with 3T, maybe, is how I would say it. Or wouldn't be dependent or interfere with all that. And I love all kinds of music. A lot of it is computer-based, you know, the whole production of it, which I I guess I would consider myself a music computer nerd. Um, So that was a challenge to me, hearing something the sonics of it and wanting to figure out what's making that sound or how do you accomplish that sound. There's a lot of producers out there that that are incredible. Afrojack and Zed, Martin Garrix and, and Gray. There's so many out there that make great EDM music. But I like that I dove into that and and got into that world because I I I know it helped me as a producer. And I think it um, you can hear it in Crazy Love, the album, the influence
2: on it. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. So. Melody and lush sounds really strike me as a common denominator in all that you do. How difficult is it to get to that point where you've created the exact sound and feel that you're after? That comes from my uncle.
0: That's just, he always taught us melody is king. Melody is king. You, you you go with the melody, always. So I've always tried to study and come up with strong melodies. And then as far as production, he taught me the key is to get whatever you have in your head to the speakers. So however you're hearing it, you have to translate it, because that's that's the way it's supposed to be. So basically, you know, I'm just trying to get down the information that I hear and the way I hear it onto uh, what do we use the hard drive or not to tape anymore? Cause no one uses tape, but to the speakers, to the, to the listener. That makes sense?
1: It does. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So crazy love it's out. It's on Apple music. It's on Spotify. It's, it's everywhere. Q and I have been mm-hmm. listening to it on repeat for the last week, loving it. Um <laughs> yeah. Um, especially when driving around in the car. We've been, I've, I've been listening <laughs> to a lot in the car. So congratulations on its release. Thank you. When you listen to it, the thing that stands out to me is that there is a real sort of dichotomy between what you've done before traditionally, like the classic sort of R&B sound, but being blended with like electronic sort of experimentation.
3: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, was that Was that a conscious decision right from the start to make it like that, or were you more... Just writing songs and it evolved that way.
0: This is funny. So there's 10 songs on the album. I think everything happens for a reason. The timing of everything happens for a reason. My whole journey into the EDM world, which I love, it really helped me with the production and sonically with this album. My years and years of studying music, R&B music, it shows with this project. And I think the marriage of the two is is kind of gave me a different sound there's songs believe it or not there's songs on this album that are not many i think there's only two that are quite old older i should say i haven't really said this before and i'll share it here with you guys one of the songs i um it's uh it was it was one of my last conversations with my uncle so it, it was um very meaningful to me but um one of the songs on the album i'm always recording so i did an album that i never released and i took some of the songs from that album and added it to this album because i felt it fit and one of the songs that i took was a song called make you mine and um that was a song that i played for my uncle it's uh Sorry, I know I sound crazy, but I'm just trying not to be emotional. When I hear it, it brings me back to my conversation with him. So it's hard to talk about it at times. But it's... <sighs> um, <laughs> I uh, There was an album, like I said, that I did that I haven't released. It, it's, it was called The Way That I Am. And um, I couldn't... I couldn't help the way that I sound my my voice and things and and the way I was singing certain things and my uncle always being a part of my music career and just part of my life and, and an inspiration I I've always shared my music with him always everything I've I've always sent him music and he's always given me feedback so with make you mine he heard it and <laughs> His words were, he goes, wow, you sound, you sound a lot like me. You sound a lot like me. And and I, I said, I, I know I, c- I can't help it. I'm just, you know, and it's funny because it was, it's just the way that I am. And he, he told me, he said, it's, it's, it's DNA. There's nothing you can do, you know. And he actually told me to go back and do more, do more. Don't worry about that. And to do more, re-record it. Do your vocals over and just go for it. Don't worry about anything. and Go for it. And he said, I give you my permission. It was a joke, you know, like I give you my permission and it sounds good. It was just a very fun conversation. He was always pulling from me, like pulling things out of me. And um, I just I just went back to lessons that he's taught me. But I remember him teaching me uh, how to sing. And he used Billie Jean as an example. And he would sing you know, a couple lines of Billie Jean, and he would sing it very lazy. He would sing, you could sing it like this, and then he would sing it, and he'd have no emotion. You know, he'd be on key, but he'd have no emotion. And they said, or you could sing it like this. And then he would sing it the way you would hear it on the record. He goes, now, which one did you feel more? And obviously, you felt the one like you hear on the record. His message was, you have to feel it. The audience won't feel it. The listener will not feel it. If you're not feeling it, don't worry about anything else. Just feel it. That's what I did. He said more. You have to feel it more. You're feeling it a little bit, but I want you to feel it more. So a lot of times when, when I hear that, I think of the lessons that he's still giving me. That brings back that that memory for me. And that's why it's very, um. that's why that sounds very um personal for me. Whoa. Hold, please. Hold on Hold. one second. No trouble. I need a minute. <laughs> okay, I'm okay. I'm okay.
2: That was an incredible answer. I, and it was sort of answering a question that I, I had coming up next. But wow, that that went that went to a place that I didn't know because I didn't know that there were some older songs because everything sounds so fresh mm-hmm. on yeah. the album. So. Yeah, that was... I did... Um,
0: Make You Mind, I did... Oof, I probably did that in 2000. The demo, probably around 2007. Wow. Oh. wow. Yes, 2007. And at the time, I was... uh, The late Kim Porter, I played it for her. It was one of her favorites that I had done. And when she she passed away i think i think when she passed away that's when i i um i thought about that song a lot because i knew it was her favorite and i pulled it back up and i changed the music because i wanted it to have more of a of a jackson triumph feel believe it or not we're going back to that but i wanted it to feel more from that era because with this album I was going to go a step further. I've always released music and released it out for people to listen to, but I wanted to go out and perform it this time. And that was a promise I made for myself to go out and perform. So with that song, we did the music to make it feel more like Triumph because that was to me the beginning of performance. And um, that's, that's how that all happened
2: you've toured with your brothers and you've done music videos with your your brothers before, but you've got your own solo show coming up for this Mm -hmm. album. How much do you enjoy touring or making videos and doing the the promo side of things?
0: I love the creative process. I love creating. I love writing. I love um, producing. I love having nothing when you open up a, a program you know, such as like Ableton or Pro Tools or Logic Studio One, whatever whatever I use. I love having nothing and I love ending up with something and sharing it and hearing feedback from people. Hopefully they enjoy it or it helps them. I've never done performing or videos or anything like that on my own for various reasons. But I feel I'm at a place in my life where it's something that I want to do. And
2: um, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go for it. Well, I think there's a lot of people excited to see you go for it and take that, that step. Because, <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some great tracks that I reckon people are really looking forward to hearing. Some of my favorite tracks, of course, are make you mine. That was there. But mm. all I care about is you. I love wow. crazy, crazy Love. That's such a good yeah. song. That's what you get. I Love. The, the little vocal bit, yeah, the little yeah. hook. That is so cool. And uh, Only One You Love as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. they're some of my faves. It's funny because you say the titles and it takes me
0: to a spot. <laughs> it takes me... it Because it means, it means something different for me than it means for people, you know? So that's... I think that's... I don't know. I guess as an artist, that's the, the story behind the music. All I care about is you. That was probably... I would say that was the first song, even though it's not the oldest song. I would say that was the first song I wrote for this album. It's funny because I go through things in life just like everybody else. I have my good days, I have my bad days. I have, you know, times where I'm the best songwriter in the world and producer and I can make anything happen. And then there's days where I feel like I should just quit and do something else. You know, that's the truth. For the first time in my life, I was in a really, really lost place. I loved music. I've done it my whole life. I've always known, since I was a little boy, I've always known what I wanted to do in life. I either wanted to be a baseball player or I wanted to do music. I'm older now. Baseball is no longer an option, so obviously I have music. But I was in a place where I didn't even know if I should pursue it anymore. If I, if I wanted to do it, and I stopped and I asked myself. What does what happiness look like for you? What is success? And I couldn't picture it. I, I just didn't know I was lost. I thought about it and I thought about my uncle and I thought about my mom and I thought about my life and how much time I put into music and how how much I love music and how no matter what, if I had a million bucks or if I had nothing at all, I would still want to do music. That song, All I Care About Is You, was the very first song I wrote for this project. I just said, you know what? I'm going to do an album. I'm going to just do it. Although some lyrics are referring to relationships and things, that's really me talking about music. That's me saying all I care about is music. If I had a million dollars, I would still do music. If I had nothing, I would still do music. That's the meaning behind that song
1: thank you that's a great exploration into it my my personal favorite ones i've been enjoying on the album uh, the last week have been a long time with its real mm. heartfelt emotion man
0: this is like an emotional thing for me <laughs> cuz it's it's i try i try to put emotion into my records and then when i hear people talk about them it triggers <laughs> it triggers
3: everything oh.
0: for me and it's man yeah so um that song that song is a uh, that song is, is basically my relationship with Brianna. Mm-hmm. I pulled, I pulled, uh, I pulled from that. I pulled from my mom and I pulled from my uncle Michael for that song. You know, um, it's just a, 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 song of, of loss. You know, I didn't really even write lyrics down on that. I just, um, I just hit the record button and I had an, a melody idea and I would go back and I would, I would re-punch lines here and there, not knowing where I was going with things, you know? And, and I just, I just sang, I just sang whatever would come out. If it made sense, I kept, I kept it. If it, if I had to figure out what I was trying to say, I would go back and fix it. But I just, I just sang from the heart on that, which is why it's so hard for me to remember the words lyrically, because it's just, there's just no pattern with it. It's just singing. Yeah.
1: Very special song and and Paradise as well. I love the the vibe mm. on Paradise in the last minute. The groove you get into is like I just want to go back and listen to the album again. <laughs> it's
0: uh, <laughs> yeah yeah Paradise Paradise. Um, that was that was fun to do. I wanted to um, it, I was only going to have eight songs, and that's what you get in Paradise. Were probably the two that weren't going to be on it. No. Paradise, <laughs> paradise was uh, paradise I had, and I loved the vibe of it. But it was the last one that I recorded. I had a whole bunch of mumble jumbles, you know. I had the the hook, but I didn't have any lyrics or anything. And um, <laughs> it's funny because I made the lyrics a little bit easier to remember with that one. The vibe of it, I wanted to wanted it to be something light, something fun, and um, something for the fans. To be honest.
2: Um, well firstly thank you for, for not skipping that's what you get because oh i <laughs> love it that would yeah. have done it completes uh, it it's got such a great i love yeah, it it's a, almost like, a little, like that one yeah a little retro vibe I, I love it i love it so on the album is it you playing instruments or there are other musicians that you'd like to shine a light on i wish i could shine a light on other musicians but i um yeah i i
0: uh that's me wow you know there's there's a couple samples obviously here and there but i i uh i programmed everything and i played everything and you know it's uh i'm not the best musician i feel i'm good enough to get an idea down yeah it's just that's just it's a lot of years of just doing music all the time
1: that's incredible because when i was listening to it i was like yep he's got pro session people and you know this is oh yeah like (laughs) wow
0: (laughs) yeah no there's uh i don't i don't believe there's i'm trying to think back on the older ones but there's there's a nobody there's nobody (laughs)
3: <laughs> but when we'll I look at you and now never...
0: is Tito Jackson and this Tito time and thanks for listening to the MJ cast
2: in a recent social media post you shared about the pride you have in your family name but also yes. frustrations of feeling like parts of your life are out of your control yes. in what ways has this impacted your music
0: in a lot of ways
2: I mean my my uncle
0: and I don't say this arrogantly but my uncle's the best entertainer in the world you know, he's, he's the greatest selling artist of all time. And it's not arrogance, it's just fact. And, you know, he wasn't arrogant at all. And the fact is, is that because of that, I live in a shadow. And it's okay. I'm very proud of my uncle and I love him. I love him. And I wouldn't be who I am without him. It's just the things that come along with that are very challenging for me at times. Dealing with the lies, dealing with the hatred, dealing with the envy, dealing with the, the dishonesty, and all of the things that come along, because there's a lot that goes on. I've had record deals that were taken away from me because because I was related. My brothers and I, when we uh, when we came out with identity, when that was coming out, our first single was stuck on you. it was it was a top ten hit in France. It was, I think our biggest selling song in in Holland, our biggest song in Holland. I remember, I told you we we're going territory by territory. When we started to go to Germany, we were told that we had to wait we had to wait for the verdict of our uncle before we would play a record and that to me bothered wow. me because we had nothing to do with that number one and number two, we knew the whole reasoning behind it the whole b s of it so once again it hit a br- we hit a brick wall you know it's something beyond our control, and once again we have to reset so it's just constant. Even with me, with this project, people think things are so easy, but a lot of times people don't want to deal with you. They want to shy away because we don't want to touch the Jackson name right now. We've had situations, offers, deals, just everything. We've had contracts signed and, and things get taken back because of things beyond our control. When you find out why, when you know the reason why and it's hate and it's lies, it gets very frustrating and you don't feel you have control of anything.
2: That's tough. We do not think it's fair that you're personally held hostage. Your family's mm-hmm. work is held hostage. It's it's a disgrace and
0: very frustrating. Is what it is, you know. But it's not that I want to sound like I'm complaining. It's just it gets very frustrating and annoying because you know you know the truth. People want to shout the lies, but they want to whisper the truth, and I think that's wrong.
2: I think that's unfair, and it's just upsetting. And I think what comes from that is in your family, there's a strength that is displayed, which is so inspirational for all of us as fans of, of you, of your family, of your uncles, their music, you know, there's a strength that inspires us and it's incredible to see. So just stay strong. That's all I can really say. No, you
0: have, that's all you can do is you have to
2: just stay strong and,
0: and keep going, you know? that's all I can do myself is just keep doing what I'm doing and and try to do the best I can. Everything happens for a reason. Just keep going forward.
2: I'm just going to ask a really random question here. That's okay. There's a number of what. Wonderful photos of you with your uncle when you were younger. One of my favourites is of you and your family visiting Epcot Centre at Walt Disney World Uh and walking past the long-lost Horizons Pavilion. Have you got any memories of trips like this? And a stupid part of the question I need to ask because I'm a big Disney nerd. Did you stay in the Michael Jackson suite at the Royal Plaza Hotel?
0: Where is that at? Royal Plaza Hotel?
2: It's, I, I don't know, because I've never been to Walt Disney World. It's That's on that main strip of hotels at Florida, yeah. Mm. It might have a different name now, but apparently he had a, there was a suite that he helped make. And I thought okay. that'd be cool if you guys got to stay there as family.
0: We might have stayed there. It
2: had a his memorabilia up on the walls that he donated okay. to, to this hotel. Okay, I don't
0: I don't believe in, I don't know if I've been there recently, because I would remember. But I do remember going, obviously, we went to a lot of amusement parks, and that was always fun. Disney World was, was fun. He loved going to amusement parks because he loved the joy it brought people. You know, my uncle would always study everything, the way the rides were arranged and, and just everything. This, I mean, he's genius, you know. I think This Is It was probably the first time people really got to see his genius and how much he was involved with everything. But he just studied everything, not just music, but film and, and just everything, photography and directing. So even going to the amusement parks, he would study things like that. And I, and I know his one of his goals was to, at one point, create an amusement park. And you saw a little bit of it with Neverland a place where people could come and, and just, it was, it was incredible. You would go there and just, you would forget about the world. You forget about problems and troubles. And, you know, he opened his home to many people that were going through issues and and hard times. So it was that. And then also the joy of him being able to go on rides and just lose control and laugh and, and going on a roller coaster. And I, I mean, I know you've heard his laugh. He had the best laugh. He would laugh so hard that you would laugh just because of his laugh. (laughs) And um, (laughs) his laugh was the best. Like he couldn't hold it in and it would just go and it would just be the best. It would be the best because it would come from such a place of joy. And then it would. That's why I'm bringing this up because there was an amusement park in uh, Huisenbosch, I think it's uh, in Asia. That was the most fun I had with
2: him, with my brothers. Lots of memories there. Love it. Thank you. I guess, you know, you touched on Neverland a little bit there. Mm -hmm. Recently, your uncle's former ranch, Neverland, is being painted in a light that is far from the light and the goodness that he envisioned when he built the place, turned it Mm -hmm. into that place that was so special. We like being able to correct that narrative and share what Neverland was really like for those not lucky enough to experience are you able to expand on Neverland Ranch and about the the essence of it and how it felt to be there? It was the best. It was
0: awesome. It was something that my brothers and I would go to every year. I mean, we'd go throughout the year, but every year we would have our birthdays together. We would stay the weekend and we'd invite our friends and, and hang out there. But just the way it was growing. And I know you had so many more plans to expand on Neverland because I think the place was like 2,000-something acres, So, I mean, my brothers and I, we got to be there and and talk to him and and hear his plans. So there's this huge painting. I remember we went up to the train room and he had this big painting of of Peter Pan. And he said, I'm about to build a theater. I'm going to have this big painting in the theater. And there's going to be, you know the snack stand where you can get popcorn and all kinds of candies. You name any candy, you can get it all free. And I just want to see the the children run in and the kids have fun and, and just break all the rules. And, you know, all of these things would, would be in his head and, and you would hear him say it. And he'd, he'd pointed out so vividly, like, this is going to be here. That's going to be here. And then off over here, you're going to be able to do this. And you would think about all these things and you could see it. And then next thing you know, it, it's like, come on over it's like it's almost done and i remember we flew in on a helicopter and we we landed in the amusement park and we walked to the theater and we opened the doors and and everything was the way he planned it the candy the, the everything and and it's just that's just how he was it's just he knew what he wanted and he delivered it and it, it all just worked it's magical but the place itself was just i mean even with the the train station elephants and the zoo area and the rides and the bumper cars and all kinds of things it's like everything had a point a purpose and a reason for it and um it all came to life everybody loves that place
1: it absolutely did have a purpose even in its architecture i mean in the you know in the movie theater it had special rooms built into the back with hospital beds yes yes yep talk to us about the humanitarian aspect of neverland
0: there's a school across the street. I know they came over a lot, enjoyed it. My my uncle, that was his home, but he was hardly there. You know, he wasn't there often throughout the year. And um, it's not a drive down the street to the city. You know, my uncle was always working. So he had a place in the city called his hideout. No one really knew where it was and stuff. I mean, only those that went, but he had a condo here as well. So he was often spending time there. It wasn't even that he was there that much. I mean, besides the touring and the and the recording and things, it's like, how much time was he there? But it was a place for, for uh for kids and for families and for everybody to enjoy and to escape. It was basically to escape reality and not deal with everything that's going on in your world and just you, you went there and just everything was removed because it was so beautiful, the music, just the, the colors of the flowers, everything. It was just magical. And then, unfortunately, <laughs> when you would leave, <laughs> all of that would be left behind. And it's like, welcome back to the real world.
2: <laughs> <laughs> welcome back to that freeway to Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Traffic,
0: bills, Traffic. everything else. Yeah. But no, it was it was so much fun and and, um, a lot of great memories, you know, a lot of great memories and and laughter. And I'll share a story. It's not really a good story. It's a a sad story to me. But you mentioned the hospital beds. and, And unfortunately, this is the thought that I have when I think of that now. But I remember there's two there's two rooms with um the hospital beds. Two there's two beds left and right and you know, my brothers would go on one or we would go on the other. And um I remember every time we would go to, to Neverland, he'd have like four there'd be four or five movies that, that are playing and you can pick you can pick a movie. We selected I think it's called The Three Kings. The oh, Three yeah. Kings was a yeah. movie that we selected. I think it has Ice Cube and Marky Mark or Mark Wahlberg.
1: Yeah, it's a war movie set in the Middle East, yeah.
0: Yes. So I remember that was the movie we were going to watch. So we uh, started off with Three Stooges, because we would always start off with, with a, a Three Stooges. like That would be our, our previews. So we'd watch one or two Stooges shorts, and then we'd go into the movie. And uh, we were watching the movie. There was a scene where they talked poorly about my uncle. I just remember it, it hurting him, And I remember him getting up and leaving. It was really sad, and it 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 really hurt and upset him. We didn't finish the movie; we stopped, and we all went out to see him. And he said, "You guys go ahead." He tried to be strong, and you guys enjoy go watch the rest of the movie. You know, I'm okay. We said we don't even care to see it; we don't want to see it, and we're sorry, you know, that you had to go through that and that this happens. And we just went on and did something else. But it just showed me the pain you know that's human you know he does a lot of great things and a one-liner or a two-liner just here or there it's just the lie it's the same thing over it really bothered me that he had to go through that and I and I hate that I saw that and that I had to see that because it shouldn't happen like that you know so those are the kind of things that my uncle had to deal with you know
1: mm. yeah I agree and I've often said it's such a shame that especially in the latter part of your uncle's career, that he had to deal with the public that was seemingly more interested in silly things like his appearance and false molestation allegations rather than the genius of his artistry. And I want to do a little shift of gears right now and talk about his artistry again, um, and specifically a a song that that you came to be a part of. A little-known story out there is um, that you actually did produce or co-produce with Corey Rooney, a posthumous... Michael Jackson song, um, which is pretty special that you got to, to work on that one. The song's called She Was Loving Me. Mm-hmm. I, I would love it if you could please tell the story about the circumstances of the production of that and um, and just how, how it all came together. Because you're friends with Corey, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So that was actually a song I think that my uncle and Corey started during the Invincible era. I don't believe... It ever got to the mixing stages or anything like that because um cory cory could tell the story better and i can make arrange that if you like one day oh, but wow. um <laughs> that'd be awesome yeah that that would that would be easy so basically i've known cory since the brotherhood era cory was one of the few producers that actually got to meet my mother so our relationship's been like a big brother you know and he's always looked out after us after our uncle passed and we got out that they were doing another album he had played me the song and he wanted me he said the only way i want to finish this is is to do it with you you know i feel this is the right thing and your uncle spoke so highly of you i feel like you would know exactly what to do with this and that's the only way i would want to do to continue with this song i just wanted to um i just wanted to to do something I like I said earlier I always wanted to work with my uncle I just wanted to do something that would make him proud it it, w- it was a, a rough demo we never really completely finished it but that was the direction that I was taking it I don't know if you've heard the original
1: yeah definitely it's one of my favorite songs so I've, I'm familiar with both yeah
0: okay yeah it's a great song that's just I don't know I I I just tried to how my uncle would want it to go and how he would want it and how the sounds would be. And that's that's just where it came out.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Corey sort of tells the story that Michael wanted it to go in a rock direction eventually. Oh, really? And See, yeah. I didn't even know that. He said that he spoke to Michael <laughs> before he passed away and Michael wanted to finish yeah. the song and he wanted a rock flavor. And that's what it's come out as. And I think it's just so See? much, it's far superior to the, the Timberland version that came out on the Escape album, in my opinion.
0: Uh, Maybe I'm a little bit prejudiced on it, but I just feel it's more what my uncle would have done with that, I think.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, in terms of the posthumous reality of Michael Jackson, one of the other reasons that the Michael Jackson fans massively respect you and your brothers is how much you defend the truth around Michael Jackson, whether it's to do with Leaving Neverland and the interviews you've done around that or... Or, or anything else there, but the other big elephant in the room, really, in the Michael Jackson fan world, isn't so much that there's been families that have um, dragged him over the coals, I guess, to try and make money using um, false molestation allegations, but there's also certain individuals in his world that have um, behaved fraudulently to make mm-hmm. money off his name. And in 2010, you know, like, I don't need to give the background of sort of what happened with the Casio family and everything like that. But you made some very, very pointed statements on Twitter, which fans will forever respect you for. But in one, <coughs> of, the sta- in one of the statements you gave, you said, you will hear my story because this is way too important for my uncle's legacy. The truth will prevail. We're, we're 10 years on from what happened with the fake songs. The songs are still for sale unwitting fans are Mm -hmm. still buying them and I'm assuming Eddie and Teddy and all these other people are still making royalties off them. How Mm -hmm. confident are you 10 years on that the truth still is going to prevail in this matter?
0: Well, it's just, uh, it's just confusion. It's just, um, it's sad. I mean, it's when it comes down to it, it's always about money. And that's, that's a hard thing to, uh, it's a hard thing to get away from because there's always money involved in it. And that was a very hard time for me. It's, I'm very, I'm very close to my uncle and I love him so much. And I know how much he put into everything. And it really, it really, really bothers me when I, when I hear things that are unfair, that are wrong and and that people are lying It just really, really upsets me. That's tough to hear. And then on top of it, there's another layer of you knowing these people and then basically uh, turning their back on him. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. And um, remember I told you earlier, I've lost opportunities at record contracts. And that was a situation where where I lost an opportunity for a record contract. Because I spoke out against uh, that album, I had several offers, um, but because I spoke out, they were all pretty much taken away from me. And um, it really, it really hurt me to see that there was lying going on, and it felt like people knew that they were lies, but they didn't care. And that's what's that's the hardest thing. Mm. is because it's like you know this isn't true you know this is a lie yet you're continuing you're going along with it when you know it's wrong and at that point you feel where does this end how how does it stop you know and that's the scary part of it because if people can lie and get away with it then what mm-hmm. and uh that's that's basically what happened and and it continues to happen.
2: How did you first get to be involved on that album? Talk to us about the sessions with Teddy Riley.
0: Hmm. Okay. Um, well, it all connects. So, like I said, I did an album that was called My Life Without You and I never put it out. I was, it was something I was working towards. And around this time is when around this time I met with Teddy Riley because he was going to do work with Kim Porter. I met with Teddy and we started talking. I mean, this sounds geeky, but we started talking about a machine called the Miko, which is like a computer based keyboard and it has a computer in it and all these other things. And I was about to get one and there was a a Timberland edition. Is I'm sorry, I'm going off
3: topic. No, I love the geeks. Anyways, stuff. It's that's all where
0: good. our <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about the geek stuff I'm a little bit of a nerd But anyways, we connected And, you know, I'm a, I'm a nerd Teddy's a nerd And we started talking nerd talk and About music and about MJ and songs And all kinds of stuff And we just connected So I started playing on my project And I started playing him these things And he was interested So we were going to finish my album And um, songs like Make You Mine." And, and the other song that was from that era was Let It Groove. I had a whole bunch of songs that we were going to work on together. We were going to become like a production team. And we were going to start doing a bunch of production stuff together. At the time, he was approached by the state to start working on this project, a Michael Jackson project of all these songs. And he said, you know, if I do this, we're going to do this together. And, you know, it's, a, it's, it's what Michael would want. And, You know, I was all for it. It's just, uh, it all just went downhill very quickly. Yeah. And uh, it just went really bad. It was really hard. It was really frustrating. Like I said, I, I felt people knew that, knew the truth. Actually, I know that certain people knew the truth and still didn't do anything about it. I remember it was just really, really hard for me to sleep it just was like, I, I had this thing on my stomach. It just was really heavy on me and I just didn't know how to, um, how to navigate through it. It was very, it was, uh, it was just really, really hard.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've spoken to Harrison Funk, uh, Michael Jackson's photographer, um, who was in the studio at the time when Teddy was working at a lot of these things. And he, he describes his conversations mm-hmm. with Teddy behind the scenes being like, you know, the, Teddy was very aware that these sort of these songs weren't Michael Jackson was being strung along by um, Sony in, in in some way uh, gi- being given the Casio songs first before he ended up being given songs like Hollywood Tonight, and I guess the sad thing for us as fans is that we held Teddy up to be one of these incredible yeah. allies of Michael who was responsible yeah. for so much of his great music, and then sort of turned on the truth. And it's just a really sad story, to, mm-hmm. I guess, in some ways. Uh, has your friendship with Teddy been repaired since then? Or
0: You know, Teddy around that era, Teddy moved down the street from me. And when I say down the street, I mean like three houses down the street from me. I have to pass this house. Once you exit my gates, I have to pass this house where he was staying. He doesn't stay there anymore every single day, every single day. So there were times where he would come over and we'd play music or I would go down to his house and listen to music. So we were close like that. And he told me, you know, as far as when we were going to do a production, he's like, what do you think I move so close so we can be closer and do all these things? So I felt very comfortable with him. And, you know, we both obviously have been around our uncle and we would share stories and talk. And the thing that really bothered me with that um, was once again – somebody not standing up for my uncle. And when I came out and said what I said on Twitter, I didn't mention his name at first. I don't even know if I mentioned it at all.
1: I think you did when it got to the Oprah stuff.
0: Yes. when it, Once he went on Oprah. Because I think he mentioned something about nephews not knowing and not being in the studio, which is completely stupid and a lie because I've been in the studio plenty of times with my uncle. Has my relationship been repaired? I haven't... I've. I haven't seen him since I haven't really spoken to him. I've seen him once actually at, at a, like out of a, a, a music store, but I didn't really have much to say to him. We didn't really talk. Yeah. Um, but I, I was really, I was really upset. You know, I was really upset. I was really hurt because I felt he had betrayed me, my uncle, my family, and just went against everything that he uh he said he stood for and everything that we were going to do to honor my uncle i just felt he went against it and i didn't understand it and you know i communicated with him during the whole time during the whole time about it not being him and and meeting with my my grandmother and getting the right songs and i felt he just told me one thing and did another
1: and he he was pretty open with you wasn't he about not thinking it was Michael along the way
0: oh I know I well I don't have to uh, he said it wasn't him
1: yeah he
0: he knew he, he told me it wasn't him he said he knew that it wasn't him you know and I forget what session it was for Monster someone came in and they were I think uh, I forget what musician it was I think it was how do you pronounce it? Or Oronti maybe I'm sorry, I don't know how to Orienthe. Orienty. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry for not saying your name correctly. But I think she was there. And I remember that's the way he described it. He's saying, We got about 50% Michael here and this and that on some of this. And we don't, you know. And I, I just I I would just look at him. I was like, why I don't understand why you're even wasting your time with this. Like it's not even him, so why even why even go through with it? You know? And then uh things Things got to a stop. I don't even like reliving this and bringing this back up, but whatever. I spoke with, with several people at this state. I told them I don't want to get involved with it, you know, because I don't want it to affect my career, my situation, because I had an opportunity to uh, get signed and do pursue my music career. And I didn't want it to affect anything. And I was promised it wouldn't, which that wasn't true. You know, I, I basically... Shared information, and um, I was I was really I was really upset, and I was really shocked when I saw him on Oprah because that was just um, betrayal to me.
1: I guess the last thing I'd like to ask about this before we move on is: Did you attend any of the like? Obviously, you tried to solve the situation by making it public. You you and your brothers really blew the whistle on it, which fans were uh, again I'll repeat are forever grateful for. Did you ever? Go to any of the crisis meetings or listening sessions with the estate and the other producers like Michael Prince. And...
0: Yeah. Yep. 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 What, was, I what was, was the vibe like there? Was
1: everyone in agreement?
0: You have no idea. I was so involved in all of that that it was really, it, it was really weighing on me. It was unfair to Brianna because she was pregnant at the time, and I was gone a lot and stressed and just I really, really bothered about it all because. There's nothing like somebody lying and getting away with it when they know they're lying. People know it's just, there's, I don't know how you describe that feeling, but it's just really, really makes you feel terrible. It felt like I've seen so many faces growing up in the studios and, and um, they brought, there was supposed to be a big meeting because I blew the whistle. There was supposed to be a big meeting with all the engineers and the mixers and, people that have worked with my uncle about whether this is him or not. I was supposed to be there and Michael Prince and Teddy Riley and and, uh, Jean-Marie and all these people that have worked with my uncle were supposed to be in this meeting. I found out I was playing baseball, actually, in a Sunday league with my brothers. And I found out they were going to have this meeting without me. And I was like, they're having the meeting when? They're like, it's going on in an hour. You need to get over there. And funny enough, Corey was with me because he was coming to the baseball game. So Corey and I, we went over to the meeting and it seemed like it was supposed to go down without me being there. And um, we listened to the songs and it was it was such an easy thing to prove that it's not him. It just certain people started raising questions. At first they were like, that's him, that's him. And then upon, you know, me saying, well, what is this? What is that? What is this? And. I think Michael Prince was one of the first to be able to raise his eyebrows on certain things. And that's when they asked for more files from the Casios and more proof and more this and more that. And another meeting would happen at the estate. And, you know, they promised hard drives, but nothing showed up. And, you know, they threw things away and just a bunch of lies, just a bunch of lies. And um, the end result for me is, is people do anything for money. It's funny because you listen to my uncle's music and it has such a different meaning now. But people will do anything for money. They're confusing people by throwing in songs that, you know, with all due respect, there's certain fans that can't tell the difference. You know, they don't know the difference. And it's maybe it's because they want to hear it or maybe because you add an ad lib here that is him. So now you're thinking the whole thing is him, but it's not. They don't know. And they're confused and that, to me, is the upsetting part because now you're you're confusing fans. You're you're confusing true fans that deserve to um, to enjoy his music, but it's not him. So how do you do that? And how do you allow that? There's people now that still believe those songs are him, and they're not. They're not. That's
1: it. That's it. Well, we're still confused why they're still for sale and as fans, we'll still yeah. continue to uh, fight for the truth.
0: Yeah, I, I've, I mean, it wasn't recently, but a couple of years ago I heard breaking news and it just irritates me. It bothers me. And I remember hearing that for the first time. I'm like, they went through with it? Like, they're, they're, they're going forward? Like, I was confused. Yeah. And I was shocked. I was like, I can't believe they're going forward. Even with everybody saying no 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 I love my uncle so much I idolized him as an artist I loved him as as a person I studied him i I was close to him he helped me so much he shared so much knowledge uh, about music and about life so there's so much you know that he's taught me and I'm so thankful for for everything that he's taught me and, and opened up to me that I just I can't I can't sit by and keep my mouth shut and not have, you know, it affects me to hear and see all this go on.
2: I have a question that we ask every single one of our special guests on the MJ cast over the last five years. Tarrell Jackson, how do you think Michael should be remembered? Love.
0: Love. I, I, I think about my uncle and I, I think of love. He was a, a symbol of love. Everything. And this is what's so upsetting about our world. Everything he did was for love, was was to bring happiness to people. All he did was hope. All he wanted to do was was help people, put a smile on their face, entertain them, make them forget about their troubles for a little bit, and um, make the world a better place. I mean, he heal the world. We are the world. Earth song, donations, and all the charitable things he did. It's like there's so much love in this person. It upsets me that they try to erase everything that he's done with all these lies. Because it's, it's like, you know, you know what he's done. It's been written, it's been, it's been shown. You know, the donations and, and the people he's helped. There's so many people that he's helped that you don't even know about, that I don't even know about. Mm. You know, someone posted a story, I think maybe a month ago, and I was reading about it for the first time, you know? But this was my uncle. This is this is how he operated. He was always helping people. It's hard for me because I'm so close to it. I see it. I've been in the room with him where we've watched the news, and he'd hear something, and he'd he'd have to excuse himself. He's crying, you know. And and I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna fix that. I'm gonna fix that, you know. And and what he's getting back, it just really really upsets me. You know, it's unfair. And it, it really concerns me with the way our world is, to be honest.
1: Mm. Great reflective answer. Thank you so much for that. Hey, this is really, really Brad Sundberg, studio engineer and technical director for Michael Jackson and host of In the Studio with MJ.
0: You're listening to the MJ cast.
2: I just want to finish up with a question about the D.D. Jackson Foundation. So mm-hmm. that was launched at the time of the Chapter 3 3T album. And although we've spoken about the foundation a number of times, for those that might not have heard it, who are new listeners to our show, the DDJF helps connect those who share a community in in grief of all kinds. It builds a community in which no one feels alone. It gives a platform for those to share personal tales of pain and loss. It encourages communication and provides guidance and gives a creative outlet through music therapy programs for young people. Listeners, if you're listening out there, you want to donate, you can donate directly at ddjf.org. And that, of course, will be a link in the show notes also tarrell can you share a story of how you've seen the dd jackson foundation make a positive impact oh
0: wow yeah we do a podcast every week the community there we've helped a lot we've built a pretty strong community that's one of our goals is to help people that are going through things and um connecting them loss is not easy you know there's all different types of loss there's loss of uh, a home there's a loss of uh job and and loved ones. So we grieve many, many things, not just people. DDJF, you know, originated with dealing with loss of, um, you know, because of the loss of our mother. So we wanted to um, create something where not just children, but primarily children, because that's what we were when we lost our mother, but something where they can find information to help them Navigate through grief and loss, not overcome it because you don't really overcome it. Just navigate through it because it sticks with you forever. It's not something that that goes away. It's always with you. If we could provide tools to help people get through life a little bit better, then you know we're uh, we're doing our job. So we have the podcast, and we also have music therapy, music heals courses that we do, where we'll go to a, a boys and girls club or. Or another organization and help and work with um, children or young adolescents. We teach them music because music's a great way to help with therapy. Put your emotions through music. That's what I do naturally. But we try to help children put their feelings and lyrics and through music and, and to express themselves and use that as a tool. It works wonders. It's Sometimes it's a four-week course or it's an eight-week course, but you see children that are very closed off, you know, in the corner, shut down. You see them very involved, and they're talking, and they're smiling, and that's the joy, and that's, that's the purpose of DDJF.
1: Wow. Love it. Definitely a a very worthy, honourable cause to get behind. And we'd encourage all of our listeners to follow the link in the show notes, ddjf.org, donate and get involved and definitely listen to The Power of Love radio show, another great podcast.
2: (laughs) Thank you. I actually had a really similar situation compared to that show when you did that show just after you lost your grandfather. We were scheduled to do a show recording for this podcast and I just lost my last grandmother on a Friday evening. And I, I thought back to, well, those guys did that show directly after losing their granddad. They were strong enough to do that. And we've got a schedule that we really try and keep. So I really drew on the strength that you showed in that. And, and I did the same. I think it was a show with Damien and Elise and I got up really early in the morning and I recorded that show. So, I, yeah, I really appreciate and, and drew from the strength that you showed when you did that. So thank you so much. Yeah, that was probably
0: um, the most meaningful show for me because of the timing and, and because of what it was. You know, it, it was it was real. It was it was exactly what the show's about. We wanted to honor our grandfather. I remember uh, we uh, called our father and told him that we were going to do the show and, and let him know if he wanted to be a part of it. You know, you're more than welcome to or not. My brothers and I, we, we did the show and, you know, we honored him and, you know, we, we get a lot from from the show ourselves because we're learning as well with the guests and the research that we do. And that's what it's about. We're part of the community. The thing that I loved the, the most about that was my father called in at the, you know, towards the end of the show and says some things about his father and, It was a beautiful moment, and um, it was a very powerful moment for for all of us, I think, even the listeners. And it's just, you know, loss is is part of life. Everyone goes through it, no matter who you are, and it affects us all. And we all have to take care of each other. And I think that was the perfect example. That was the perfect show that, that showed that.
2: Absolutely. Could not agree more, indeed. So you've got a live show coming up in June, yeah. June 8th at the Milky yeah. Way in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. It's your very first solo concert. So, mm-hmm. how excited are you? Tell us about this. Are you nervous? Because this is going to be a little bit different to, you know, performing with your brothers as you've done in the past.
0: Oh, yeah, it's going to be a lot different.
2: It's going <laughs> to be a lot different.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm excited. You know, it's, um, this year I wanted to eliminate fear. I wanted to put things aside and I've lived in fear for a very long time and, you know, there's certain things in my life that, that I want to try to do and, and go for. And I've, I've waited long enough and releasing music and performing it is one of those things. So I'm going to do a, a little, a little show on the uh, June 8th at the Milky Way and uh, I'm excited for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's my first one. You know, I think, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think I'm just going to, uh, Enjoy the music. I'm going to enjoy the people that show up. I'm going to be thankful for their support and um, just have fun. Just going to just try to enjoy the moment and do what I do.
1: A bit of a mix of old and new in there as well? or
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, trying, I'm trying to put together a nice set. I've been working on it for a little bit, and I feel I have a good mix of some songs in there. So I'm hoping everybody that comes enjoys it. You know, it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a good time.
1: Uh, that's brilliant. Well done. That's fantastic. So, listeners, go and grab the new album from Tarrell Jackson, Crazy Love. It's You can stream it if you want on Apple Music or Spotify. You can buy it on iTunes. It's available all over the place. And don't forget, Tarrell Jackson has a great live show coming up at the Milky Way in Amsterdam on June 8th. We'll have a link to the website in the show notes where you'll be able to go and uh, also grab tickets to that. We're so excited to have had you on. Our listeners probably will want to follow you on on social media as well, if they're not already. So could you give listeners a bit of an idea of where they can find you online?
0: Yeah, you can find me online on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is at Terrell Jackson, T-A-R-Y-L-L, Jackson, J-A-C-K-S-O-N.
2: Thank you for that, Tarol And, of course, you can find uh, this podcast that you're listening to, so somehow you've already found it. But we are a podcast available across podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts and now Spotify, still on Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and all of those things. We've also got our channel on YouTube. And then social media, we are The MJ Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So that's how you can find us on podcast apps and those streaming services. Just search for The MJ Cast and the same goes for our social media. You can also email us the at iCloud.com and our website themjcast.com. And don't forget to take advantage of the show notes because that's where you will find links for four things that we've spoken about.
1: Taryl, just from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for coming on. We made a little joke, actually, before we recorded the show. We were debating whether to tell you how long our episode with your brother Taj was, uh, just to see if it would create some competition if you wanted to speak even longer. But you uh, have beat his record by eight minutes. So, great job. I
0: can, I can <laughs> talk about my uncle and about music and about all of this forever, you know, i um, it's, it's, uh, I can go on forever, but <laughs> I've rambled on enough. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's tired of listening to me, but, um, I look for maybe, maybe we can do this, um, in a little bit.
1: Yeah. It sounds or a lot of it. That would be incredible. But I, I, I hope I gave Thank you guys you enough. So much. You
0: know, I hope you guys oh, yeah. enjoyed the podcast and, um, I, I apologize again, but, um, I love my uncle. No, I love talking no. about him and, um, I love, I love you guys for supporting him. And the community and the fan base, he's got a great, strong fan base. And I just hope everybody stays strong. And um, we got to stick together and and get through all these annoying times, you know.
2: The same for you and your family, please. Like our our love and respect to all of you. Stay strong. Keep doing what you're doing. And whatever you need, just let us know. Just know that you guys are not alone as a family. You have all of us to help support. So whatever you need, let everyone know and you'll get it. You will get it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're, You're welcome. welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to us about everything. You're, I think, have you been surprised? At I think I spoke the, too uh, much, right? the, the, <laughs> No, not at all. But the the breadth of your career and, and so much to talk about. Like I've been surprised how much you've been able to share. So thank you. We really mm. appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations again on Crazy Love. Listeners, head to the show notes. Our links are right there. Hit it, listen to it, enjoy it. It's a great album. And thank you again, Tarrell. Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Okay. That's all right. There we go. <laughs> Okay, that was our best episode ever.
2: You say that every time, but no, yes, that it, it was really very was. awesome.
1: It literally was.
2: <laughs> it was. It was. It was up there, like with Taj's for sure.
1: Oh, are there any areas you thought we could have gone into more, or were you really happy with the outcome?
2: Maybe nerdy stuff. Like I don't know if you wanted to ask more about nerdy technical things with production or equipment or anything, but that's the only thing I could think of because he seems like a, like a, you know, he loves that sort of stuff.
1: Oh, I could have so gone there. I would have loved to have asked him about, he did mention like the, the workstations he uses to record music, but I'd love to have asked him about gear. But um, normally when we have guests, we we sort of are anxious because we don't want to keep them too long with that one. uh, I sort of didn't get the feeling that he wanted to go right at the end, but yeah, that was cool. It's a good album, hey!
2: It is a good album. I'm glad we got some detail about certain songs that are on the album, and I'm really surprised that some are as old as they are. I did not feel that at all.
1: And I was also really surprised that one of them was, you know, like a pretty much an effort between Tarrell and getting feedback from Michael. That was
2: awesome. Yeah, that was unexpected, and yeah, as you would say, very special.
1: Very. Did I say special a lot this episode? Oh my God. No. <laughs> I've been working on that. You know, you have a word as well. You
2: have. Uh, yeah. It's... Um, Do you it's, edit I, it out?
1: No, sometimes. Stuff. I, 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 no, it's something like absolutely or it's like a word like that. I think it's absolutely. I'll have to go back and check.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of them as well. I probably got a couple. I say that probably because I say it a lot at work. <laughs>
1: J cars